If you're able to do so, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Mark 6, 47. And we'll read down through verse number 52. We'll read responsibly. I'll begin in 47. And then we'll begin reading out loud together in verse 48. Reading that pattern down through the 52nd verse of the chapter. The Bible says, beginning in 47, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. Together, and he saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled, and immediately he talked with him, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The title of the sermon this morning is the, also the name of an old hymn, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And uh, here the disciples are at sea. The uh, Lord is walking on the water. They're in a troubled storm. They're afraid of capsizing the boat. And Jesus, the Bible says, would have walked on by had they not called to Him. Sometimes we go through hardships in life, and if we're not careful, we're we're so hyper-focused on the storm that instead of letting Jesus help us, we let Him pass right on by. Let's pray this morning. God, help us as we dive into this passage and the verses that surround it Seek to understand it. Lord, the Bible is so applicable to our day-to-day lives, especially a passage like this. Lord, may those applications be not missed on any of us. Help us believe here this morning with these truths uh, imprinted on our minds and hearts. May we meditate on them even beyond uh, the service today. Lord God, thank you for what you're doing at our church. We thank you and praise you because you're worthy of that. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. So, there was a distinguished painter, and he was conducting a class where he was teaching others how to paint. Every now and then we do something like that here at our church. Uh, We've had uh, some ladies in our church who are very artistic who will come in and and give a canvas, and uh, they'll instruct them how to make or paint something. We've done the same thing with some wooden signs. And uh, a class similar to that, but this was a higher level Big money paid, distinguished painter as the teacher, and um, he was speaking on the subject as he prepared the class of artistic composition. And he emphasized the philosophy of art, how that it is wrong, for example, to portray a woodland or a forest or a wilderness uh, without painting into it a path that takes you out of the trees, a, a path that leads to safety, a path uh, that leads to, uh, 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 leads to exit from the, the, the woods there. And he said when a true artist draws any kind of a picture, say a landscape, he always gives the picture an out. He always gives the picture an out. Otherwise, what happens is you have a tangle of trees and, and the, the trackless spaces depress he said, and dismay the onlooker. I just want to ask this morning, have you ever been lost in the woods? 
You ever been, I know we're city folk here, but uh, especially us city folk, we can get out in the woods, it's easy to get lost, especially if you don't have a compass, and you, you wander out a little ways. My family and I, a couple Mondays ago, Columbus Day, we went out to, um, we went out to Sleeping Giant. You know what we did? We stayed on the path. We stayed on the path because I don't want to get lost in the woods, and they have that, uh, how many of you have ever been to Sleeping Giant? You've been up to the top of the castle there, and uh, they have that marker there that, that talks about the child who died the boulder that fell on him in the 1800s. I, I don't want to be the next plaque along the trail, right? Richard Lejeune wandered off the path and was eaten by a bear. I, I, it's not me, okay? And so I stay on the path there. But uh, when I was younger, I was more adventurous and grew up in the southeast. Uh, and so what was out in the woods as a boy. And Listen, you ever get out in the woods and you get lost, that's a scary thing. That's frightening, and maybe you, 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 you're with someone who's confident they know where they're going, but you're not so confident in their confidence. And, oh, I know where I'm going, follow me, and I'll lead you right out of here. And, and there's just no confidence, and you, you, you're walking for about an hour, and you go, I think I've seen that rock before. I'm, I'm pretty certain we passed by that rock an hour ago. And uh, sometimes uh, you can be left to feel as though you are in great peril. Sometimes life can feel that way. You've been battling the same problem or struggle for years, for years. And you begin to believe that there actually is no way out. There's no way out of your problem. Whether it's a sin habit that you've developed and you think, I can't, I've tried and, and I can't kick this sin habit. Or uh, maybe there's a pattern, a cycle of bad behavior in your family. And you look back a generation or two, and you swore when you were 13, 14, 15 that you would not become your parents. And now you're in your 40s and 50s, and you see that you're becoming your parents. You see those same sin habits are developing in your life. Am I landing where we're living this morning? Uh, do, I, do you all understand what I'm talking about? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's debt. And you've tried everything possible to get out of debt. And you just feel like you're wandering in the wilderness. And uh, maybe it's your health. And you've seen this doctor and that doctor. And you've tried the naturopath direction. You've tried the traditional medical route. And uh, you've even gone on WebMD. Don't ever go on WebMD. Bad idea. Uh, you can have a, uh, you know, a sore on your tongue and go on WebMD and then leave thinking you're going to die tomorrow, right? And so stay off of WebMD. Uh, but um, uh, you, you just you go down these paths and they're just each one leads to what appears to be a dead end and you can feel lost. Here in Mark 6, the disciples felt like this. They were not lost in the woods. Rather, they were in a terrible storm out on the Sea of Galilee, and it seemed as though there was no way to shore. You ask, Pastor, I have been in the midst of my storm for so long. When will the wind stop blowing? When will the waves stop crashing? The proper question isn't, when will the storm be over? But the proper question is, when will you learn to cling to the Master? There's always a path out of the woods. Maybe you haven't found it, but there's always a path out of the woods. There's always an end to your storm. Always an end to your storm. But you must not allow the Savior to pass you by. Now I propose that in every one of life's storms, there is a greater good that God is trying to accomplish in your life. Sometimes He's trying to strip away a sinful habit 
or habits. Sometimes he's just simply trying to grow your faith. Sometimes he's trying to prove a point to Satan like he did with Job. Every storm, listen to me this morning, every storm has a purpose. Say that with me, church. Every storm has a purpose. Every storm. Every storm. And uh, we can see storms as, here we go again. Why, Lord, did you forget about me? And, 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 and why do I have to get, I go, come out of one storm or right into another? Every storm has a purpose. Every storm is an opportunity to grow closer to our Savior. So uh, we all go through storms in our lives. Let's run through six thoughts about this storm and the, uh, that the disciples endured. Now, if you generally rely on the screen to help you know to take the next note and you daydream until you see the screen change, you, that's not going to work today, all right? You're going to have to listen on purpose, and you're going to have to pin, re, have the pen ready. I'm only going to repeat the point twice, maybe, maybe, and so uh, or cheat off the neighbor next to you, all right? That's always an option. So let's jump in here. On the back of your bulletin, you can fill in the blanks. Number one, notice the timing of the storm. The timing of the storm. Look with me at John chapter 6. And verse number 47. John 6, verse 47. I'm sorry, Mark 6, verse 47. I put the wrong uh, reference down in my, uh, in my notes. Mark 6, verse 47. The Bible says, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. Uh, here we see that God handpicked the timing of the storm for his disciples. When did it come? Well, it came on the heels of a great spiritual victory. Look back at Mark 6, verse 41. Verse 41 with me. The Bible says, And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, uh, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments uh, and of the fishes. When did uh, the timing of the storm come? It came right after they enjoyed great spiritual victory. And uh, right after they saw 5,000 men plus the women and children present be fed off of five loaves and two fishes. What an amazing thing. Jesus has the basket there of uh, the little boy's lunch. And Jesus begins to break and fill up each of the twelve disciples' baskets and send them among the people who had been organized there on the hillside to feed them. And as Jesus continues to break, the fish just continue to show back up. And five loaves and two fishes fed 5,000 plus people and the disciples kept coming back wondering where is this food coming from and this was a true miracle and can you imagine uh, what it must have been like to be there and not only to feed the people but they ate not just one small helping they ate until they were full and then they went back around and collected all the extras uh, food that was left over that the people said too much food I can't eat anymore there were there were 12 baskets of food remaining. You say, Pastor Lejeune, do you believe that that actually happened? I, I believe that if God can create the earth in six literal days out of nothing, then God can take five loaves and two fishes and turn it into a meal that can feed 5,000 plus people. Amen? 
Uh, listen, what a miracle they beheld. And when did the storm? They're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we're just a few hours removed from great spiritual victory of seeing God do something great and something that had never been done before. Surely nothing they'd ever witnessed before. And, and here they are witnessing uh, this miracle now, right after the spiritual victory. They're stuck in a storm. It not only came on the heels of spiritual victory, uh, it came on in, in the darkness of the night. Look at uh, verse 6. Uh, turn over to John 6 with me, if you will. John 6 and verse 16. We find this story both in Mark 6 and John 6. And so you'll want to put a marker uh, in both places there. John 6 and verse number 16. There, in the darkness of the night, it... It, it, you can't you can't see much, and because of the cloud cover, there's no moon to be seen. There's no light from the stars, and uh, no reflection off the Sea of Galilee. There, it is pitch black outside. Look at 16. And when even was now come, John 6, his disciples went down under the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark. It was now dark. And so uh, it has come at a time of great spiritual victory, on the hills of great spiritual victory. Now it has come at a time where they just can't see very far. They are disoriented. You ever been there where you're going through a problem you're going through a storm in life and you can't tell the difference between up and down and east and west and north and south and left and right. And you wonder where you are. You wonder what's going on. And you wonder if you've been forgotten. Here they are. It's dark outside. Uh, they can't see. And they're out in the Sea of Galilee. It came on the heels of spiritual victory. It came uh, in the darkness of the night. When was the timing of the storm? It came when they were all alone. Look back at verse 17. John 6, look at verse 17, and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark. Look here. And Jesus was not come to them. They were all alone. These 12 men, watch this now, had signed up to follow Jesus, to walk away from their careers. Many of them to even leave family behind, whether that meant mom or dad, or that meant a wife, like in Peter's case. Some of them may be even children. They, they left their families. They left their careers. They left their hometowns which, with which they were familiar. And they chose to follow Jesus. And here they are out in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a storm. And the man they're following is nowhere to be found. They can't see him. He's, it feels as though... He has forgotten and forsaken them. Some of you may have decided you're going to give your life to Christ. You've got to take up your cross and follow Him. You're going to do your part to be the very best Christian you can. And the next thing you know, everything around you is just wonky and crazy. And there's the storms of life raging. And you call out to God and it can just feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the walls. You wonder if God has left you alone. What was the timing of the storm? It came on the heels of spiritual victory. It came in the darkness of night. It came when they were all alone. The timing of the storm. Notice number two, the turbulence of the storm. The turbulence of the storm. Go back with me to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verse number 48.
the Bible says, and he saw them toiling and rowing. Read the, rest of, read the next phrase with me here. Ready? For the wind was contrary unto them. The wind was contrary unto them. For sure, we know from just studying the Gospels that four of the twelve disciples of Jesus were fishermen by trade and grew up on and fished in the sea of the very sea they were they were uh, they were uh, experiencing the turbulence, the Sea of Galilee. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. You remember when Jesus called Peter, right? He said, throw your nets in the water. And Peter said, I'll throw my net, singular, in the water. And it was the morning. He fished all night not caught anything. And sure enough, the net filled up so much so that it just about flipped the boat over. And he called his buddies, James and John, who had a commercial, commercial fishing boat. And they came over and helped to get the load of fishes to shore. And so for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, if you will, this was not their first rodeo, rodeo on the Sea of Galilee. They had been in the sea. They had experienced storms before. Uh, this was not new to them. Uh, but uh, all the same, this storm was fierce. This storm was more intense than even these weathered, seasoned fishermen uh, had ever experienced. It was so intense that they were afraid. They were frightened. And listen, God knows how much you can handle without His help. He knows. He knows exactly what your capacity to handle problems and struggles in life without forcing you onto your knees uh, in prayer. He knows exactly how far you can go leaning on your own resources and your own uh, intellect to navigate those storms. And listen, any time God has brought a trial in my life that I've been able to navigate on my own, a storm in life that I've been able to navigate on my own, uh, those trials have done very little good in my life. I've grown very little in the Lord because a storm has come and I've used my own smarts and I've used my own money. I've used my own resources and lo, I get on the other side of the storm and not one time did I bend a knee to pray. Not one time did I lean on God in faith. Not one time did I trust in God. No. I leaned on my own resources and as a result I did very, very little growing. When your back's up against the wall and there's nothing that you can say or do to rectify a situation, that's when you begin to rely on God. We call that desperation praying. Desperation praying. By the way, as you grow in the Lord, you don't just pray in times of desperation. You pray out of devotion. Right? You have dependence praying. Right? You have dynamic praying. Where each day you wake up and before you even get out of bed, you open your eyes and the very first thing on your mind and heart is to talk to the Lord in prayer. Your head's still on the pillow and you look up or if you're a side sleeper, you look toward the wall or you look toward the ceiling. Or if you're a stomach sleeper, you look down at the mattress. Amen? I've never understood stomach sleepers. Amen? They're, they're a special breed. Uh, but the um, uh, you, you, first thing you do when you wake up is uh, you just say to the Lord, you say, you say to the Lord, you say, God... Good morning. Sure is good to see you today. Sure is good to spend a few minutes with you this morning. Thank you for another day to live. Thank you for your blessings in my life. You say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm not there. It's okay. You need to grow toward that. You need to grow toward where a place where you recognize God in every part of your day, right? Lord, thank you for the mind to be able to make this meal. Thank you 
for the gas in my car to get to work or to the store. Thank you, Lord, for the daily bread. And by the way, that daily bread is not just what we put in our mouth. It's the daily necessities we need to get through life. Lord, thank you for uh, giving, giving me the Bible to read and, and understand. And, and thank you for the Spirit of God to help lead me and guide me in all truth. Spirit of God, I pray today you'd give me wisdom to know how to handle life's troubles and struggles. I pray you'd give me your power so that as I speak to my children or to my spouse or to my coworkers or to my friends or my neighbors or my loved ones, that your power would be endued on me and that I would be able to speak in a way that's impactful and helpful to them. Lead, lead and guide sinners along my path. And may I have a, a gospel track ready or a word of truth ready to give them an answer to any question they would have for me. Give me your power. Give me your wisdom and give me your love. You know, you're going to have broken people come across your path. You're going to need to love people. And as you grow in the Lord, you'll learn to pray this way on a daily basis. You'll learn to pray this way each and every moment of the day. You'll stop and you'll talk to the Lord. Instead of seeing problems as, Oh, why this? Oh! And we're reactionary. No, we respond in prayer. But Many of us here today are not there yet, are we? God brings problems in our life because He knows. Listen now. Listen intently. He knows the only time you pray is when you've gone beyond what you can do. I need the ladies on the front row to sit up straight and listen. No talking, no passing notes. Look right up this way, please. Thank you very much. When God brings these problems into your life, what is He trying to say? He's trying to say, I pour blessings down on you every day, and I'm up here in heaven, and I'm saying, whoa, will you pay me some mind? Will you pay me some attention? And, and, and we're just so busy zipping here and zipping there, A to B and B to C and C to D. And God says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that provided this and that. And, and, and life, we're just not getting out of, uh, He's not getting out of us what He so wants. And so He brings a storm in our life. And when push comes to shove, and we don't have the, our own resources to answer, then we turn to God in prayer, and we call out him and God will bring a turbulent storm in our life beyond what you can handle because he wants you to turn and focus on him we see uh, number one the timing of the storm number two the turbulence of the storm number three notice the toil in the storm the toil in the storm look at mark chapter 6 with me and look at verse number 48 mark 6 and verse 48 Look here, the Bible says, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. Look at this next phrase. And about the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night. Let's recap the day's events. Look at Mark 6, verse 31. Look back at Mark 6, verse 31. And let's again just review what had gotten to them to this point. Look at verse 31. Uh, the Bible says, And he, Jesus, said unto them, the disciples, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. You know, they were so busy following Jesus. Can you imagine 
following the Messiah who has healing power uh, everywhere. Uh, Folks were showing up with that loved one who is uh, sick and that terminal illness, that chronic illness. And uh, Listen, everywhere Jesus went, there were people, uh, can you heal my loved one? Can you help us? And we've been to doctors and and, and we've been to uh, also, we've sought sought for help in every sort of way. And and Jesus, uh, if you will, heal him. We know you can. And, And everywhere they went, everywhere they turned, everywhere they moved, they turned, there was another problem problem to handle. And many of you here know what that's like, especially you moms. You you wake up in the morning only to hear uh, your title, mom, being called. And, and you get out the door and you go to work and you got the stress of work. And then you get home and you got, you're getting yanked on by your kids again. And then uh, your husband's there in the evening and, and, and then uh, you go to bed and you're just exhausted only to wake up the next morning to have to do it all over again. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when it comes to the holidays, there's no break because they want you to host and they want you to cook all the food. Amen? And so uh, life can be hectic and life can be tough. And uh, listen, this is how the disciples felt. Everywhere they went with Jesus, there was no break. Uh, There was no chance. Uh, uh, The only break they got was with their eyelids closed in in sleep. And Christ saw their need for a vacation. And so He said, let's come apart for a time where we can get away. They get in the boat and they go to a place where they can have a vacation and what happens is 5,000 plus people follow them to their vacation spot to be ministered to. I thought we were getting a vacation. No vacation. So Christ puts them to work. And they are busy feeding those people. Um, we have a ladies event here around Mother's Day every year. And it is my joy to get to help put on that event. And when I say put on, I don't do any of the decorating. I don't do any of the planning. My wife and I sit down and maybe work on what the theme is going to be. And and I might give a little bit of input there. But beyond that, I don't really do anything. But the day of the event, uh, I do my very best to help host and and make sure every little need is taken care of. And i got to say, just catering to 80 to 100 ladies at an event... I get done of, of, of bringing out the next tray of, of steak or chicken and rice and all that, and I'm, and I'm done. I'm like, man, I am done. Don't ask me to do anything else all day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being that disciple, and, and you're walking all the way to the top of the hill and back down, and you got the food, and you're heading back up to get that last row in the back? You already were exhausted before the 5,000 showed up, and now... They're all fed, and they've all been sent home. And you think, oh man, I am so tired. I am so weary. I am exhausted emotionally. And I'm exhausted uh, mentally. And I'm exhausted spiritually. And I'm exhausted physically. And God puts these men in a boat and sends them out into the middle of a horrendous storm. They rode all night, the Bible says. The Bible tells us that they toiled until the fourth watch of the night. And we know that the fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 in the morning. 3 and 6 in the morning. Can you imagine? After all that, you, you didn't get your vacation. There's some hope that's been lost there. and You've worked all day and your, your feet hurt and your back hurts and your shoulders hurt and you're tired and you get put, you've been chided by the Savior for not having enough faith. And you get put in a boat and you get sent out and, and you're rowing all night. The toil of the storm. Some of you have been toiling in the storm 
for days and weeks and months and you're just exhausted. Notice number four, the terms of Christ's help. The terms of Christ's help. Look with me at Mark chapter 6. Look at verse number 48. The Bible says, And he saw them toiling, toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, look here, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea. Read the rest of the verse with me. And would have passed by them. Wow. He was willing to walk right past their boat and not help them. Jesus saw the disciples whom He loved, exhausted, wet, cold, weary, and in danger. Yet His inclination was to pass right by them and not help them. Why? Christ wants us to make first contact with Him. You, hear, you listening this morning? Christ wants us, in our storms of life, to reach out to Him. He wants us to make first contact. There is a general rule I follow as a pastor. And I want everyone to hear this because some of you may, may wonder why um, someone's going through a hardship and a trial and, and I'm not right there, okay? Uh, if someone has a loved one die, boy, I'm right by their side. I do everything I can. By the way, I, I should have mentioned this earlier in the service, the excitement of the service. I didn't get this in here. Uh, to our church family, uh, some of you know Ed and Maureen Giserni, and uh, uh, Maureen's uh, sister, Barbara, is married to John, John Spongeberg, John and Barbara Spongeberg. They're members here. John has been fighting uh, ca cancer for a couple of years now, and Mike Syred and I went to see him about three weeks ago, and uh, just he, did, he, he wasn't in a good place, and health on the decline, and uh, we uh, as a church uh, we're just doing what we can to encourage Barbara and John. And I got a call from Barbara last night that John went on to be, be, be in heaven. And so John, John Spongeberg passed away last night. I don't yet have details uh, for the funeral. They're still working on that. And uh, we're not sure exactly where the funeral is going to be quite yet, but uh, I'll make those the details of that uh, available when possible. But be in prayer for Barbara. If you know her, reach out to her. Let her know that you love her. And uh, the Jazernies are up right now, but obviously with um, uh, Barbara. You have someone like that, boy, Pastor Lejeune, I, my, my wife and I hopped in the car yesterday afternoon, drove, drove over to their house and, and uh, did our very best to minister to Barbara and help her. You have someone who's made some sinful choices in life, and they're on the run from God. My, my inclination is to let them reach out to me first before I help them. Because that shows they're taking a step toward getting help. Notice that James 4.8 says, Draw nigh unto God, and He will draw nigh to you. Who takes the first step? We do. As you take a step toward the Lord, He takes a step toward you. You with me this morning? He's waiting on you to take that first step. My pastoral experience, if I have taken the first step towards someone who's living in sin, 
Very rarely does it result in me being of any help to them. And here Jesus is walking in their direction, but he's content to walk right past that boat. Right past that boat. Unless they reach out to him. What are Christ's terms of service, if you will, to the believer? You're in a storm, you say, I, would, I could really use God's help. All right, I'm going to tell you how to get God's help. Notice letter A, our free will. Our free will. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you stubborn? How many sit next to somebody who's stubborn? Raise your hand if you sit next to someone. Oh, we got husbands and wives both raising hands, okay? Um, Let me ask you another question. Especially to the men in the room. And this applies to ladies too, but I tend to see this trait more in men than women. Listen up. Are you self-reliant to a fault? Self-reliant? I don't need anyone's help. I can do this all on my own. I don't want your help. It's a problem. Listen, all of us need each other to get through life. Sometimes we're too proud to admit that. And all of us need the Lord to get us through life. Are you unaware of just how weak you are in comparison to an all-powerful God? As I was putting this message together, the Lord was, I mean, He was working me over. Oftentimes, most of the time before I get up here to preach, you know, God beats me up in my office with these sermons, and then I get up and, and try to gently give them to you and let the Spirit of God beat you up if necessary. I don't want to be the one that verbally beats anyone up. And the Spirit of God was working me over on this. And, and I realized there are storms and problems that sometimes I face in life. And first I try to do it on my own. And then I turn and I call on the Lord. And, and it's like the size of my metaphorical muscles in compared to God's muscles are so small. Why would I try to work through something on my own when I have the Savior passing by and why would I not invite Him to come into my life and just take care of the problem right off the bat? Why is my default to lean on my strength and my intellect and my resources instead of reaching out and saying to God, Lord, I can't do this. Uh, uh, without You, I am nothing. And I need You to step in and call my storm or call me while this storm rages on. You see, the disciples had Jesus walking right by, but they had to exercise their free will in order to get Him in the boat. It may be that God is waiting for you to quit being so stubborn and self-reliant and bend a knee and bow your heart and humble yourself and ask Him to help you. Our free will, let her be, knows our faith. Our faith. As you go through life storms, you have a choice. Faith or fear. Faith or fear. Now listen, when we toil, we become tired. Right? There's nothing wrong with toiling, by the way. 
Toiling is working, and working is a good thing. Well, I'm going to tell you, you get up every morning and you, you, you scrape yourself off the mattress, half asleep you put your clothes on, stumble to the coffee Keurig machine or whatever you get, you get your coffee or the Starbucks, amen? You rich people go to Starbucks every day. God bless your souls, amen? Actually, you poor people that go to Starbucks every day because you gave you all your money to Starbucks, didn't you? Um, and you pour that liquid wake-up juice down your throat, right? And you get to work and you're still wiping the sleepies out of your eyes. Do you all call them sleepies growing up? We called them, you know, the little in the corner, sleepies, okay? There's less um, uh, pulpit-friendly terms than sleepies. But we're going to stick with sleepies this morning. All right, you wipe the sleepies out of your eye, and you and, and you just you by about ten o'clock, you're really hitting your stride, maybe, and you get home only to just the gauntlet of home life. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but listen, it's busy. And what happens when we toil? We become tired. And then when we become tired, we become irrational, or can become irrational, and we lose our perspective. Now, faith says. Listen now, to go back to the original analogy of the woods, faith says, I can't see the path out of the woods, but I know that it's there and God will guide me down it. Faith says, I don't see how I'll survive the storm, but I know the master of the seas, and I know he will calm the storm before I drown. God has given you a free will. Will you choose fear or will you choose faith? Now, one more question for you, all right? I'm going to press you right here. Will you choose to have faith in yourself or faith in the Lord? Oh, I got this. I can do this. And I've met plenty of people that way, right? I mean, they're going to keep trying and trying and trying and trying until they break through or they lose heart. And that might work even for a few decades. Eventually, life storms will break you. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in the one who made the seas and can calm your storm. Quit trying to do it on your own. You've toiled till you're tired. You're so tired, you're irrational. You've lost perspective. And now, all of a sudden, little things are big things and big things are insurmountable. And instead of uh, being a, a faithful, or rather putting faith in God, you've become afraid. And now, uh, your whole life is upside down. The terms of Christ's help, we see our free will, our faith. Notice letter C, His faithfulness. His faithfulness. Deuteronomy describes Him as, watch this, the faithful God. The psalmist hails God for His faithfulness. Isaiah brags, Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and true. Jeremiah says that God is a true and faithful witness. And 1 Corinthians hails our Savior as a God who is faithful. God is faithful. If you are in a storm and you call out to God for His help, uh, then He will never pass you by. He will never walk right by you. However, you cannot just call out to Him with your mouth. 
Listen up. You must rely on Him with your emotions and your actions. It's not enough to bend your knee one time and say, Lord God, I need You. Lord God, I want Your help. Lord God, I can't do this with tears streaming down your cheeks. But yet life continues the same and you make no changes in your life and you don't pray to Him anymore. My friend, no. You must call on the Lord not only with your mouth. You must call on the Lord with your attitude and with your actions. And when you do, my friend, God is faithful. He's faithful. He's the master of the seas. The timing of the storm. We see the turbulence of the storm. We see the toil in the storm and the terms of Christ's help. Notice number five. Notice the troubled disciples. The troubled disciples. Look at me at verse number 49 in Mark chapter 6. Mark 6 verse 49. The Bible says, But when they saw Him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw Him and were troubled. They think that Jesus is a ghost. For they all saw Him and were troubled, and immediately He talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Notice letter A, their focus. Their focus. So, you have the Messiah, or the Christ, walking to them. Watch this. Why is Jesus walking on the water? He's been up in a mountain all night praying. Alright? He has sent these exhausted men into a storm. And He comes walking on water, because he's, he's God, He can do that. He's walking on the storm. Why is He walking to them? He's walking toward them because He wants to help them. But instead of viewing the Lord as a solution, they view Him as an additional problem. What caused them to be so troubled at the sight of Jesus walking on the water? Well, they were focused on the wrong thing. My bills. My health. My relationships, my job, my bitternesses, my past hurts. My friend, you have your eyes on the storm instead of the master of the storm. And Jesus comes along and He's there to help solve your problems and, and, and help you to be a better person. And instead, you just view going to church as one more added obligatory thing I have to do. And reading my Bible is one more thing uh, that's going to uh, chew up my time. And, and prayer is just a, a wasted uh, set of energy that you've got to put out. And my friend, don't view God in the Bible and, and a walk with the Lord as a problem, an additional thing you have to do. No, my friend, view these things as the answer. He's sending, uh, he's sending himself along the storms of life and you have your focus on the wrong things. Oh, how am I ever going to pay these bills? I, I need to take on a second or a third job or take on all the overtime hours I can get. And maybe you need to work a little bit more depending on how God leads you. But you need to make sure your life stays in balance and maybe you get your spending habits under control. But more important than focusing on your bills, you need to put your focus on the Lord. More important than focusing on your health problems and where your health is, why don't you focus on the Lord and let Him lead you and guide you through those choppy waters of health struggles. And maybe you've got a relationship that is just a, 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 a not in a good place. And maybe your marriage is strained or relationship with your parents is strained. Or maybe you have a friendship that's waning and not where you like it. You can focus on the storm or you can focus on the master of the storm. 
their focus, letter B, we see their forgetfulness. Their forgetfulness. Look back at Mark 6, look at verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Now this is amazing to me. This is amazing to me. Here they are in the middle of the storm. Here they are with Jesus walking to them on the water. Are you listening now? And instead of their reflex being, hey, there's our Master, their reflex is, it's a ghost! Alright guys, hang on now. No less than 8 to 10 hours ago, you watched Jesus take that little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 plus people. Like you watched it happen right before your eyes. And you've already forgot that that same guy is, was right there on the shore in prayer. You already forgot that he could come right to you and help you. Notice the Bible says that their heart was hardened. And I read this passage and I just shake my head. You guys are dense. What is wrong with you guys? But then I realize I have done the same exact thing. We could pass a microphone around the room this morning and be here for the next week listening to each one of us share stories about how God has come through for us in times of great difficulty and struggle, couldn't we? How many of you here have some story where God came through in a miraculous way, in some way in your life? How many of you got more than one? I got plenty. But yet I get to another storm and I begin to fret and worry again. And I forget what God has done for me. There's some Bible examples of this that come to mind. Remember when the Lord split the Red Sea for the Israelites? What a miracle. Maybe the most sensational miracle in the whole Bible. That's arguable. But if not, it's on the top five, right? Top, top three. Do you know they didn't get a mile past the Red Sea and they're complaining about not having any water to drink? Like guys... You know, you have a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud to keep the sun off you by day. That's not normal, okay? And he just split the, 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 he split the Red Sea in half and you walked across it and then he killed your enemies. And now, oh, we're thirsty. We're going to die of dehydration in the wilderness. Oh, how we complain and murmur. Oh, this storm. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. I just want you to stop this morning and remember of all the storms He's walked and guided you through. How He's grown you. Christian, you ought to get to a place where you don't ask how, or rather if God's going to get you through the storm, but rather how, God, are you going to get me through the storm? Because that's, that's, that's what he's a master at. Are you forgetful this morning? Have you forgotten how good God has been to you in your life? I do say, I want to add this before I move on to the last point. We're almost done. I do think that oftentimes we are oblivious to the working of God's hand in our life. We chalk it up to coincidence or fate. 
we forget that if you have put your faith in Christ alone, this is what He does. He looks after you as His child. And He brings these coincidences to pass to take good care of you. Maybe we ought to be a little bit more mindful of how good God is to us. Number six, and lastly, notice the termination of the storm. The termination of the storm. Look at verse 51. The Bible says, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. This is Mark 6. And wondered. And wondered. Now, I want you to get this. I know you've listened well this morning, but boy, this is a powerful, powerful truth. Listen up now. When Christ was allowed in the boat, the storm ceased. Now, that's a very obvious observation. Some of you here are toiling and you're a wreck because Christ is not in your boat. You're trying to do life without Him. And I'm not even talking to the, the lost. I'm talking to the saved. Sadly, for most of us, our Bible sits on a coffee table or a car dashboard or a dresser or a nightstand. And all week long, it collects dust. We pick it up on Sunday. We wipe the dust off. And we let the pastor tell us what the Bible says. But we've not taken the time to get in the book on our own. And Jesus is not Lord of your life. Because you're not, He's not Lord of your time. And then you whine and complain, God, why is my life so hard? Why are the struggles of life so difficult? Maybe he's not in the boat because you've not invited him in the boat. Some of you are busy going through life and you're toiling, but you're not trusting. You're toiling, but you're not trusting. And this morning, I just want to tell you the Savior is walking on the water of the storm of your life. But is He going to pass you by? As He walks by, will you ignore Him? Will you misunderstand Him the way the disciples initially did? Or will you invite Him in and trust Him? Now, I want to say as I close, that if you're here this morning, and you've never put your faith in Christ alone as your way to heaven, then Jesus cannot be in your boat until you establish a personal relationship with Him. Please listen to me. The Bible says that we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we are separated from a holy, perfect God. We all commit sin on a daily basis, and if we knew the tally of sins each of us had committed in our lifetime, that number would be astronomical and would be shameful. Say, I'm a good person. Compared to who? You may be good compared to the person sitting next to you or the drug dealer on the corner or the murderer in prison. You may be even good compared to me. 
but are you good compared to God? And the answer to that is no, none of us. In fact, Paul's put it this way, there is none righteous. No, not one. None righteous. Because I am not the standard by which you are to measure, and you are not the standard by which I measure. The Lord Jesus is the standard by which we measure. He is the glory of God. He is the perfection of God. That's the standard for you to get into heaven one day. People say, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21 that each one, the books of our lives will be opened in the presence of God and you will be judged out of a book that has the works of your life. You will be judged by your works. If you really think good works is going to get you into heaven, the good and the bad are going to be laid out bare before all to see and God is going to condemn you to a place called hell because of your unholiness and your sin that separates you from a holy God. There's not one person in humanity that's good enough to escape the wrath of God over sin. Oh, we want to talk about the love of God, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But we want to pretend that God is a God who's out of balance. I have known many parents who are very loving parents. And those loving parents, you know what they don't do? They don't punish their kids. Let their kids get away with everything. You know what I call that? I call that bad parenting. Bad parenting. You think God's a bad parent? You see, God punishes sin. Because he's in balance. The Bible says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Revelation 20, 14 and 15 tells us that those who did not have their name found in the Lamb's book of life would be cast into outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 16, we find the story of uh, the uh, uh, rich man who died and went to hell where the fire was not, uh, the fire was not quenched and, and the worm died not. And, and he was so thirsty, he just wanted one drop of water to cool his tongue because he was tormented in that flame. God loves you but hates your sin. And if you die in your sin, then you will spend eternity in the devil's hell. But God does love you. He loved you so much that He sent Jesus to die on the cross. Why did Jesus come and die on the cross? He died for you. Jesus became your hell on the cross so you could escape hell. And all He wants is for you to invite Him into your heart by faith. You see, when I was a small boy, I understood for the very first time that I was a sinner, I deserved to go to hell. That Jesus had died in my place He was the perfect Lamb of God. My friend, I can't die for you because I am a sinner. I can only die for myself. You can't die for me because you're a sinner. And you could only suffer for your own sin. But Jesus, He knew no sin. And He became my sin on the cross so that I could be made into His righteousness. Jesus became the sin and suffered the punishment for all of mankind so that you and I could simply get into heaven. You say, how do I do that? You must believe in Jesus alone as your way to heaven. Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Back in verse 9 of the same chapter, it says that if thou shalt, listen carefully, confess with thy mouth, and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him, Jesus, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. As a small boy, I bowed my head and I prayed a very simple prayer. I said, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve to spend eternity in hell. But you died and took my hell on the cross. My faith is in you. 
and you alone. Save my soul and take me to heaven that day when I die. That day Jesus was walking on the water and I invited him into the boat. He saved my soul. And now it's clear sailing as far as my eternity goes. Oh, I still have life's troubles and trials. And I need to invite the Savior in the boat. But my eternity is settled. I know I'm going to heaven when I die because Jesus died for me. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you are saved. But you, my friend, have been trying to fight life's problems all by yourself. It's time to invite the Savior into the boat. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Savior's walking by your boat today. Are you going to continue to be stubborn and self-reliant? Or are you going to let Him be the power that calms your storm or calms you through the storm? How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith in Jesus alone. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I've put my faith in Christ and asked Him to save my soul. That's your testimony. Would you just hold up your hand right where you are? Only if you've done that would you hold up your hand. You know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Amen. Many hands. Many hands. Not every hand, but many hands. You can put them down. If you did not raise your hand, let me just thank you for being honest this morning. Honest with yourself. Honest before God. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die today, I don't think I've invited the Savior into my boat. I don't know that I would go to heaven. But I sure would like to know that. I'm not against what you're saying. In fact, I'm convinced maybe to put my faith in Christ. But if I were to die today without Christ, I don't know where I would spend eternity. If that's you and you're here this morning... I sure would like to pray for you. No one's looking. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's me and you and the Lord. I will not embarrass you in any way, but I sure would like to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I do not know if I died where I'd go. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see one hand. I just don't know. Is there anyone else? I'm just not sure. If you raise your hand, my friend, I sure would like for you to be able to get that taken care of. Salvation sure is simple. It's so simple a child can do it. We call out to the Lord by faith and ask Him to give us that gift that He purchased with His life on the cross. You believe in Him alone. He'll come into your boat today. sure would like to have an opportunity to sit with you and share that with you after the service this morning. You're also welcome to come forward during the time of invitation and speak with Pastor Andrew. He'll take, have a lady sit with you and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Please, don't leave here today without putting your faith and trust in Christ. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm in the middle of a storm and I need the Savior in my boat. Would you just pray for me today? That's you. I'm going through life storms and I sure do need the Savior in my boat. I need to call on Him and ask Him. I've been trying to do this on my own too long. Would you pray for me? I see many, many, many hands. Many hands. I'll be praying for you this week to come. Lord, would you work during our time of invitation? Help us, Lord, to not be people who try to do this on our own. We're too fragile and too weak. We need you to lead us and guide us. Thank you for what we've experienced this morning. May we make decisions during this invitation that please you in Jesus' name.